Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome. Delighted to have you with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Our co-host, Carol Zernial, is here, a nationally known gerontologist. Carol serves as the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, is the uh, past chair of the board of the National Council on Aging, and has enormous experience in issues that today, in light of COVID-19 and the coronavirus, are proving even more important, as she has led an effort on the part of the WellMed Cheryl Foundation to reach out to deliver food and other supplies uh, to homebound seniors and others who simply have no way of getting uh, what they need. Uh, they've launched uh, programs to provide counseling services and help for folks who are struggling. And uh, the kind of work, Carol, that you are doing uh, is so directly related to social work. We've made you a social worker. Well, you know, I almost got my degree in social work, and instead I went into gerontology to focus on older persons, um, but all of us are playing social work a little bit these days because the needs are so great. And one of the things that you have been uh, involved in tracking is where are we with COVID-19? And uh, I had mentioned to you uh, off the air that uh, every year we we try to go for a weekend up at Horseshoe Bay, which is a nice resort near uh, San Antonio, an hour away. It's great. Uh, And you said without even taking a breath, I wouldn't do it. Well, you know, we're talking about opening up all over the country, and Texas has certainly been in the headlines for the efforts here to open things up very quickly. Uh, And luckily, we have an expert guest today who's going to give us the skinny about whether you're going on vacation or not. Thank you, Dr. Allison Reese, who is Associate Professor at NYU Long Island School of Medicine, Adjunct Associate Professor of Medicine at NYU School of Medicine, Head of Inflammation Section at the NYU Renthrop Research Institute, and we could go on and on because her credentials are unbelievable. The one area uh, that we're going to get her back on maybe six months or so from now is her true love, which is research into Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's disease. But at the moment, we have turned this outstanding researcher into an expert looking at COVID-19, the pandemic. And Dr. Reese, thanks for coming on. It is my pleasure to be on, and it's so wonderful to hear about all the work that you're doing there to help people and to um, take care of them and make sure that uh, older people have food and supplies that they need. It's just that's so important, such a priority. And thank you, Mr. Aaron, and thank both of you for having me on, and it's just a pleasure. All right. It's either Ron, your royal highness. You don't have to do the Mr. Aaron. (laughs) So, So share with me. Uh, from your own experience, uh, what this pandemic has meant, because uh, your expertise in research and in understanding how to track bugs down, how to deal with them, uh, the next step of vaccine and and other treatment. I mean, you're right in the forefront of that. What has this meant to you? Well, it's been an illuminating experience, uh, one I never imagined that I would see in my lifetime. And also, I think what I've observed is this moving target 
that every time we think we know what's going to happen or we try to predict, we end up being wrong or inaccurate and that we have to take things step by step and not make premature judgments as we figure out what works and what doesn't and try not to give misinformation. I mean, I'd rather say I don't know than say something that is not so or at least give the caveat that, you know, uh, this is provisional. I think we all are really trying so hard to get a handle on it, and people are asking, but you don't want to tell them something and have to correct yourself and be wrong. And, of course, the hope has been that that once we got a handle on this growing pandemic, once uh, we slowed the rise and crested the hill and we're on the other side and it's slowing down, once we reach a point where folks can go out again and business can open up, uh, it'll all be hunky-dory. But from the numbers I'm hearing, and I'm no expert by any means, uh, we're not there yet. It doesn't seem that we are. I mean, it's, it's almost that part kind of inevitable that as people are trying to go back to their normal lives, that we're going to increase contact, we're going to have more crowds, and then we have to figure out how do we cope with this? Um, how do we keep our older people safe and our at-risk people safe, and knowing that there is a large group that is younger and healthy, and their risks are low, but they're not zero, um, you know, even if you are um, overall in excellent health, uh, we can't predict how this virus is going to affect you, but with the people that have the risk factors, the advanced age, the history of heart disease, and lung disease, cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure. We want to keep those people safe. And what I'm seeing, which is um, something that we all or most of us see, is the young people living with the older people. And I have that right here in my work where I have young people who work with me in, in my laboratory, and they may live with their parents who are older, and everybody's concerned how do we let people return to their lives and then come home to mom and dad or grandma and grandpa and not get them, you know, bring this illness to them? And one of the things that you have taken on, and by the way, for folks who just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Our special guest, Dr. Allison Reese, she is a physician, associate professor at NYU Long Island School of Medicine. We're talking about COVID-19, her work as a researcher, uh, Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is with us as well. And, and Carol, one of the things that uh, uh, Dr. Reese has been working on is providing a way uh, through webinars and, and other media uh, to keep older adults safe and, and to understand uh, how we begin to open up but don't rush to open up uh, after the COVID-19 pandemic. Tell us what you're doing, Dr. Reese. Well, I have actually two webinars coming up next week, and one of them will be for um, the caregivers and uh, will be is free and open to all. And you can go to the Alzheimer's Foundation of America website and register for free. And I'm going to be talking about uh, a lot of the things that, you know, we're covering here, but in much greater detail. And then I have one that's um, going to be actually Dr. Oz is uh, highlighting that one, and I'll be speaking sometime after he speaks on uh, for uh, physicians and health professionals 
for uh, continuing medical education credit, uh, speaking in, in more depth about uh, this pandemic and, and uh, handling it, especially with older people. So we're aiming at this wide audience being with my colleagues, trying to get out the best information that we can. And when it comes to social distancing, you know, it's funny, Carol, I was thinking the other day, that is not a term I had ever used in my entire life uh, until several weeks ago. And suddenly that, that is in, in the middle of everybody's lexicon. Everybody knows what you mean by social distancing. But what I'm seeing uh, in, in the media, Dr. Reese, is there seems to be less of that. Well, you know, it's kind of something that you could predict as part of human nature. We want to be with each other, and it's getting harder and harder to do this, especially when the weather is nice and we feel so deprived and we want to be out there. And the one thing that we are seeing very much, the masks work. We have a lot of conflict about, you know, is it protecting you or someone else or how much protection? But if everybody wears a mask, it really does reduce the spread because the droplets you release when you speak, if you sneeze, if you cough, as you breathe, everything really is contained. So if we just wear the masks, it really does help. Now, I'm not saying you have to wear them all the time. If you're in your own yard or you're walking and there's nobody around in, in daylight, um, you know, that may be okay, and especially for older people who um, may not like the mask or, you know, may be uncomfortable. But if you have any density of people around you, that is a most excellent thing to do that will really help you. I was talking to a friend who works at Frost Bank here in San Antonio, and she said the other day, in her entire life, she's been there almost 45 years, in her entire life, she never thought she would say to a customer, I'll see you at the bank, remember to wear your mask. Exactly. I think that's uh, kind of all our experience, that it's just such a strange thing. And I remember back to, you know, my student days when I wore the mask, so I picked the same kind because it's, I find it the most comfortable. Um, I think that you do your best, and in the heat, it is really hard. People complain about, you know, that the heat of their own breath right. accumulating inside the mask. So, you know, if you need to remove it, step away from everybody. Go out someplace where you have a lot of space. But if you're in a store, if there are a lot of, lot of folks around you, please do keep the mask and keep the distance. I, I've noticed that um, people are getting very different views of what is six feet. I mean, we're trying to say six feet, but those estimates can get very interesting. And that natural... Uh, feeling that you want to move closer if you're inching along on a line. Because like many of us, I'm waiting online in the supermarket, and I wait online at the drugstore. I have to go in. I have to get things. I, I like fresh fruits and vegetables, so I'm willing to wait on the line. And I notice that as people get closer to the entrance, six feet kind of shrinks. So you have to really keep aware of really do try to keep that distance. Like, you're not going to get in the store any faster before, because you crowded closer. Now, there have been other diseases that have uh, certainly spread through our society. Uh, none of us were alive uh, during the Spanish flu epidemic here in the United States uh, in, in the late 1918 time frame. Uh, were, were masks de rigueur back then, or, or had they not been developed for this kind of protection? 
Um, that's a good question. I don't recall whether they had masks at that time or really were aware of, of the, the way that it spread. I haven't noticed, like, you know, pictures of people with masks on, so I don't know if that was really something that was done at that time. And then I was a kid during the uh, polio epidemic in the uh, late 1940s, early 1950s, and again, I don't remember masks. Yeah, well, they, take... they really, um, as far as I know, I haven't seen any experience with people wearing them on a, a basis uh, that is so vast as we have now at, at any time in, in my recollection. Carol? Um, I was just going to say, my, my son has reminded me we were in Italy, and he picked up um, a Venetian mask that they wore during the bubonic plague, um, but they filled it up with herbs because they thought sweet-smelling herbs and would drive off all of the germs and, and all of the illnesses. So you had to fill it with something that smelled good, and that's what kept you, as opposed to the mask, which I right. thought, well, you got the mask right, but the huh. whole part about just things that smell good be protecting you, that probably not so good. We're going to take a little break, come right back to you, and Dr. Reese, we appreciate you being here. I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking here on Caregiver SOS On Air about COVID-19, the pandemic, and we're going to find out from Dr. Reese what the next steps are on research and how close we may be to finding either a remedy uh, or a vaccine or both. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. We thank you so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. We come to you every week on 930 AM, The Answer, and we have podcasts of all of our shows available. All you have to do is Google Caregiver SOS On Air podcast, and they will pop up. We are talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline with Dr. Allison Reese. She is associate professor at NYU Long Island School of Medicine, a well-known researcher, been doing it for more than 25 years. And one of the things, Dr. Reese, uh, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, who is here as well. And by the way, Carol's in a different location, although it sounds as if she's in the studio uh, due to new technology. So if you're wondering why I'm cueing her to come in, it's because we can't see each other. And we're going to work on, on that problem uh, down the road. Uh, Dr. Reese, tell us about the research that's underway. Uh, is there a hallelujah moment coming where somebody in your lab or another lab leaps high into the sky and says, I've got it, the vaccine, I've got it. Well, first I want to say they did wear masks in 1918 because like, just like anybody, I just could go on and Google and see that they did and there were photos of it, so there were masks at that time. Um, That's that's the very sophisticated scientific method, you know. Right. Um, As far as what we're doing all over the world, research is ongoing on this issue, and we have clinical trials here at NYU Long Island School of Medicine and in so many places, you know, trying to figure out what can we do to treat this because we're still at this stage where we don't know which treatments work. We, we look at some of the antivirals and 
seems like some of that is working. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, they're trying to develop new things or repurpose old things. But as far as I know right now, I haven't seen anything that's really, um, you know, breaking barriers and, and coming out as something that's clearly on top. They're trying to fill the plasma from people who have recovered. I mean, I think right now we mostly are learning from our experiences what works the best as far as just keeping people supported and getting them through um, to the point where we can, you know, get people off ventilators where that is the highest amount of um, mortality when a person is actually needs that kind of assistance to try to keep people from having to be placed on ventilators. But there's no, you know, no magic pill now, but we're all looking, we're all trying. I've heard now. that being on a ventilator isn't really very good for you, although it may be keeping you alive. If you're on it for any period of time, uh, your long-term outcome is not good. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's really amazing that there have been so many people with this virus who have survived after a prolonged period on, on these ventilators. But, of course, then it leaves you just so weak and depleted and with months of recovery ahead. But people do survive that way and get through it. It's just that, you know, it takes such a tremendous toll. But um, we don't have anything solid to offer in terms of a real treatment that is proven to prevent the the, uh, disease from worsening or, you know, we we do everything we can supportively. As for a vaccine, I'm much more uh, optimistic in that regard because there's so many companies that are developing the vaccines that are trying them and i think we will have a number of vaccines we'll get to the point where we have to choose which and we'll be producing them and then we have to be very sure i know we want to be quick we want to get these vaccines out quickly we have to be very sure that the vaccines are safe before we give them to huge numbers of people so everything has to really be done step by step. It's not really a good idea to, you know, skip all the safety measures. Carol, would you be first in line to get that vaccine? Would you run the risk? You know, I, I probably would be the second group um, <laughs> because, you know, ha- having uh, experienced, I know that when the last time we had a vaccine and there were uh, contraindications, it was with Guillain Barr, and I may not be pronouncing that right, um, uh, and, which is like uh, having a, a small stroke and you're slightly paralyzed. So I, I, I hope people will take their time and the vaccine will work very, very well. I, I recently saw a T-shirt that said, peace, love, and a vaccine. That's what I'm. I'm all about that. And what has to happen, uh, Dr. Reese, uh, to, to validate that a vaccine works? And, and, and I'm reminded because people bring this up all the time. You know, it might be great for mice, but it doesn't mean it's good for humans. Yeah, well, this is a big problem because, of course, you know, the best way to test a vaccine is to give it to people, then expose them to the virus and see what happens. But that really isn't something that we would want to do. So the more likely scenario is to give the vaccine to people who are at high risk for exposure or who really don't want to get this virus and, you know, become ill. And then see, compared to people who haven't gotten it, you know, how they do health-wise. I mean, it's it's something that um, is, you know, less uh, directly damaging than if you actually 
take someone and expose them and see what happens. So there are going to be a lot of different kinds of tests and controls. And, you know, there are these brave people out there who uh, go ahead and say, yes, give me the vaccine. And, yes, I'm willing to, you know, be the sample person and, and you can try it on me. But there's, there's a lot of steps. But the good thing is that we're pretty good at this in other aspects, like the way we do the flu vaccine, and we've done vaccines for so many different things. So I think we're going to get it right. I just think that we're ha- we have to be somewhat prudent. We do a new flu vaccine every year. We do, because uh, we are such good masters of how to approach that, and it's a known entity for us. But this virus is not. And we don't know how to predict in a lot of ways how will it evolve, will it come back, when will it come back, um, how many you know, people have to get it before we can feel some confidence in herd immunity that, that will eventually come if enough people get it, if it, the effect is to keep you, um, that you, you would then be immune once you have that. And we don't even know that. So, you know, there are so many questions and I'm just watching and listening and reading and seeing my own uh, lab results as well. You know, in our lab, we're trying to do a model of a human lung. This is what we've proposed that we can do in our lab and infect the model and see how that infection uh, has consequences and what drugs and treatments might help it because we use the human model and not a person so that we don't have people becoming ill, but we see how the behavior is that mimics the human. And I think a lot of labs have similar kinds of approaches because, as you say, if you want to do something with something, a virus that's just so human-centric, you really do need to do something that is people or that is human-derived. How about the politics that has suddenly invaded this field? It can't be helpful. I just completely stay away from politics. I am a physician, a scientist. I want to give the best help I can give to everybody. And, um, you know, the advice is there and the, the uh, knowledge is there. And we all hopefully are going to try to take care of ourselves and each other and to make sure that we maintain health and we get through it. Are you an optimist? Oh, that's a good question. I would say I'm generally not an optimist because, you know, that, that's hard for me. I guess you see so much that goes wrong. But in the case of this virus, I think we're going to come out and conquer it in the end, and it's going to be okay for those who have not had already suffered the consequences. But the human suffering that it's already caused is beyond my comprehension I was thinking about that the other day, and Carol, I know you think about this all the time. In the matter of weeks, over 100,000 Americans, most Americans in this country, have died, dead, gone. That's a big number. And, yeah, friends of mine have lost parents, you know. Right. Carol? I really think that it has not only has it exposed uh, the fragility uh, of older persons, but it, there's also, um, you know, if you look globally at some of the policies that have been implemented and been held is, is showing that the, there's been some disregard uh, for 
for older persons in terms of value. And I think that's, as we talk about, you know, injustice right now, that's that's another example of, of things that we need to call out when we see them. If you were to get the crystal ball out, Dr. Reese, uh, you have any sense of what comes first, uh, a treatment that's at least going to slow the spread in an individual and lead to wellness, or a vaccine? I'm assuming the development's on separate tracks. I think they're both working really hard. And, I again, I don't like crystal balls because I don't know if I had a good, you know, reason to say it was going to be one before the other, I would. I can only say, as far as the vaccine, I think we're headed to something, um, you know, certainly within uh, six months to nine months or so. I think the vaccine's coming. I can't, But, you know, a treatment could come before or after. Something could just, you know, turn out to be a really effective treatment. I that, That's the one I can't predict. The vaccine is kind of more on a timetable that we know. And I would say this about older people. You know, if it's your mom, your dad, the person that you love so much, what does age matter? You know, the person is someone you love, and their loss is just terrible no matter what their age. So we love our loved ones. People care about each other, and we want everybody to be well and to have quality of life. You get the last word. Thank you, Dr. Reese. For Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for listening to Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.